Good morning. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> Sorry, I've had a really weird morning. Um, <laughs> typically, on days I preach, I know what I'm going to get up here and say, and and I, you know, I have it all planned out. I love being a planner, and uh, I can just feel that it might not go the way I want it to go today. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, so we will see. It's actually funny. Um, before we get started, um, Robin, I was actually there when she was talking about the word of the day being ignite, and I just feel like right now God is just saying um, ignite but intimate, and I feel like what God's trying to say is there are people in the room, and I want to be clear, people, not a person, there are people, so this isn't just for one person, this is for multiples, so if someone, if, you know, if someone feels this and wants to raise their hand or anything like that, that does not mean it's not for you either, um, but there are people that God is trying to ignite something within you. And you may be holding on to, to past prior conceptions, religious routines, things of that nature that maybe are making you fearful of letting that go and receiving what God has for you. And... Um, I feel like the the intimate part is it seems um, very powerful and scary, but to be honest, once you release that and come fully and push into him, it'll actually be that most intimate that you know God, and it'll be the place that you always um, find his presence and where you want to lay your head. So I don't know if that's for anybody, um, but if it is, you're more than welcome to shoot your hand up or anything like that, or even if you want to uh, speak with me after the service, potentially pray or pray with the prayer team just on what that could be and, and just praying through that, you know, we would be more than happy to do so. Um, yeah, I was going to start today with a joke, so a little, <laughs> a little, a little different, but I'm still going to tell it because it's super funny, okay? <laughs> so um, <laughs> my buddy Chris Bowman sent me this joke a couple weeks ago, and I was like, man, there's no way I'm not sharing this. I promise, I promise I'm not going Baptist, and I'm going to start doing jokes every time I preach. But, uh, but it's just really funny, okay? So I got to share this one. So <laughs> there's a husband, his wife, his kids, and his mother-in-law, and they're going to go on vacation um, to the Holy Land. And so they go on vacation to the Holy Land. I'm already laughing. Sorry. <laughs> they go on vacation to the Holy Land, and uh, unfortunately, the mother-in-law passes away while they're there. And um, I know what you're all thinking. Why would you laugh at that? Um, but she passes away. So the caretaker there is like, listen, uh, you can bury her here for $500. Or when you guys go back, we can ship her back home for 5000 And so they still have a couple days left of vacation. So they take, they take the night to kind of discern uh, what they feel like God wants them to do. And so the husband comes back and says to the caretaker, um, we're going to pay the 5000 and we're going we're gonna to send her back to where we're from. And the caretaker is kind of puzzled. He's like, man, you know, this is not many people get to be buried in the Holy Land. Why wouldn't you take up that opportunity? He said, well, listen, man, I know there's this story. A little over 2,000 years ago, there was a guy that was buried here. Three days later, he came back to life. And I cannot risk that happening, okay? <laughs> so if you want, look to your neighbor and just say, thank God for discernment. 
<laughs> so, um, I, sorry, I love that. Uh, <laughs> it was funny. Earlier this week, um, I saw my mother-in-law, and I was like, are you coming? She was like, yeah, I told, I told uh, your father-in-law, and we're, we're going to try to come to one of the services. And I was like, I've got a mother-in-law joke for you, so make sure you don't miss it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if, for those of you who don't know, my name's Brian Applegate. I'm the, I'm a, well, I almost said it, I almost said it, I almost said it. I am a church planting resident here at Resonance Church, yes, <laughs> thank you. Uh, for those of you who may not know what that means, basically, I'm with Resonance for the only two more months, um, and then me and my wife are going to be moving to Lexington, Kentucky to plant a church. Um, we are very excited about that. Uh, to give you guys a little update, we actually put our house on the market this past week, and then we went to sleep, and we woke up, and it was sold. So, yeah, it was, it was like 24 hours, so I don't know if Mandy's here, but I just want to thank Mandy. Mandy was awesome and made that process so easy. Um, so there's a little, little plug for you. Um, but it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. But it was. It was awesome. We couldn't have asked for it to go better. Um, and then on top of that, we're actually 77% fundraise now. Yeah. <clears throat> so a little over three-fourths the way there. So the ball is rolling. So, you know, it, as I talk today, if maybe, if, I don't know, if maybe the Holy Spirit's leading you or anything and you want to hear more about that, um, you know, find me after. I'd love to fill you in there on all the different ways you can partner with us. It's not just giving. Um, we're looking for prayer partners, too. We're looking for people to go as well. So uh, if you feel, you know, led in any of those ways, feel free to come find me, and uh, we can talk after service. Um, all right. <clears throat> How many of you guys like to go tubing? Really? This joke is not going to be that great. If I... Really? You guys have never gone tubing? What? Oh, that, that's a good point. Water. Water. Like with a boat or a jet ski. Still not that many people. Wow, okay. Well, anyways, I got a tubing story for you, so maybe, maybe it'll be educational. Um, <clears throat> so anyways, so I was 15 years old. <clears throat> I remember this because it was the day after I got my braces off. So it was like braces came off. We're on the cusp of summer. You already know your boy was at the top of his game, getting ready, getting ready. <laughs> and so my dad, he decides, hey, it's warm enough. Um, let's take one of the jet skis out. And it's very, I need you to know, it's a jet ski. It's not a boat. It's very important. Um, and you'll know why here in a minute. But um, he's like, you know, me and my sister, he, had, he bought a big tube so we could both fit on it at the same time. And... Uh, decided we were going to go tubing, and we were going tubing in the Ohio River, and uh, yeah, so we get out there, and there's not a soul in sight, except this one thing in the distance, I now understand why, because it's the Ohio River, and no one else was crazy enough to be in the river um, like us, but anyways, so for some time, we're, we're going, and uh, we're just tubing and having fun, and uh, we start getting closer to that thing in the distance, and uh, we start to notice it's getting closer, and we notice it, we're going in opposite directions. So I believe we're going west, it's going east. So as you know, boats, things like that, when it goes, it cuts waves as it's cutting through the water. Well, we get close enough, and we're like, oh, that's not a boat, that's a barge. Okay. And for a while, 
for some reason, my dad is still going towards this thing. And I'm like, even me at 15, I'm like, we're getting weirdly close to this. We need to stop. And so at the very last moment, my dad decides, so, so imagine, I just want to get the picture right. So we're going this way. The barge is going this way, but the waves it's cutting is going the same direction as us. So it wouldn't be like the wave engulfed us. It would be like we are going to go up a water ramp and we are going to go flying. And so at the last minute, he decides to take a sharp right on the jet ski, right? Because he doesn't want to get hit by the waves, but apparently he wants his kids to. So he jerks it really hard to the right. Kids, if you're in the room, this is why you don't sleep during geometry and algebra, because you'll learn things like angles, trajectory, things like that, okay? So when he did that, he had decided that to remove himself, he, sorry, he decided to remove himself from the unknown, he actually decided to shoot me and my sister up into it. Um, and we, so we go up this huge water ramp, and uh, my sister decides to let go. She, she bails. Of course, in my head, I'm like, come on, scared, let's go. And so I'm getting ready to go up this ramp, and uh, hold on, sorry, I feel like... I feel like that's a word for someone right now. I'm sorry. Um, I feel like there may be people, maybe right now there's like unknown circumstances happening in your life and you don't know how to feel about them. And um, the people around you are retreating from that, maybe out of fear. Um, and you're trying to decide whether to hold on and follow that wave. Or, or to let go. Um, I just feel like God is saying, hold on. Hold on to that. Whoever that's for in here, um, just hold on to that because I'm getting ahead of myself. But where the tension and unknown is, that's where God grows us. And we'll get into that more here in a minute. But um, so anyways, back to the story. Um, so as we're going up this water ramp, um, my sister's falling off. I decide I'm going for it. So I hold on to this thing. I, you know how people fish and they're like, man, that fish was like this big. I'm telling you, this was a 20-foot tsunami, okay? Like, I went up off this thing. I, once I did it, I was scared to death. I was holding on to this thing, white-knuckling this thing. When it hits the ground, I hit my face flat on the tube. My mouth starts bleeding, okay? My perfect teeth, okay? Um, don't worry. I didn't have to get braces again, so I was able to go out on all those dates that were lined up and whatnot. But I was all taken care of. I was all right. <laughs> but so I smacked my face on the tube. Instantly, this tube pops, pops. And so I'm, like, drowning in this tube, and I'm, like, so a jet ski fits two people. So, of course, my sister gets on the back of my dad. I'm over here with a bleeding mouth, laying on this deflated tube, just, like, going back in to shore. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. Um, so how many, so I say that to say, um, how many of you here today have held on to something for too long to the point it negatively impacted your life? 
whether it was a job, a relationship, or even the influence of another person or another thing. Um, one other thing I want to share with you guys before, um, just kind of as you kind of just wade into that question for a few moments, just take time to think into that. If you can't think of that instant, um, just kind of wade into that because I just I feel like there's a lot of that um, in the room. There's a lot of things that maybe God is trying to prune us of and trying to get us to let go of so that he can, we can receive the next blessing from him. Um, but one last thing I want to share with you before we get into scripture um, was a prophetic dream that someone uh, believed was for me pretty urgently, and they emailed it to me um, the, morning, the morning after they had it. Um, I know Aaron kind of touched on it, but uh, if, if that's something that is new language to you, basically what that was is while someone was sleeping, they had a prophetic dream that God gave them, and they put it on their heart that that was for a specific person. And so they felt like that was specifically for me. Um, but I want to read some of it to you. Um, just to kind of give you guys some of the, the context here. Um, hi, Bryant and Chelsea. I had a dream last night I, that I felt was for you. Also, I wanted to share it. In the dream, there was a lot of people and lots of activity. Everyone was busy going about their busy lives, and all our lives were intersecting at various events and get-togethers. But everyone was very, very busy. But out of all that hustle and bustle, I noticed a man whose wife was pregnant at the time my wife was pregnant, um, and this couple was off by themselves because they had a big decision to make. They were still surrounded by and connected to lots of people, but they felt alone because they, could, they had to make this decision. It's like everyone else's lives were time-lapse warp speed, but theirs were in slow motion. There was a very large barn. Side note, barns in Scripture represent a storehouse of provision. And the decision involved when they should enter the barn. They were very apprehensive and unsure about what to do. Because even though it was a very large barn, it wasn't nearly full yet. So even though they wanted to enter it as soon as possible, they weren't sure what to do. I saw them and noticed them and had compassion for them and wanted to encourage them. I looked down in my hand and there was a letter. I had written for this couple to encourage them, and it was titled, The Blessing of Being Born in Adversity. When I looked at the letter, I saw its meaning and thought, wow, that's such a deep and profound wisdom. I felt a deep sense of satisfaction that God had given me this wisdom and that I was so blessed to give you this letter. I had this sense that when I gave you the letter, and once you understood its meaning, that you would know the right time to enter the barn. So to sum it all up, I felt like the Lord is saying, when you understand the blessing of being born in adversity, then you will know what to do and when to do it. So the person then went on to explain um, you know, how they thought it potentially had to do with our fundraising, moving to Lexington, when to step into that provision from God, and things like that. And since that time, I've really been mulling over that, that phrase, the blessing of being born in adversity. And and what is God trying to say there? And um, I feel like it hit me this week. Um, I was listening to another pastor speak, and they were speaking about tension. They were speaking about the word tension. And they were talking about um, basically in, in you know workout world that if you have a, a personal trainer, their goal, if you're wanting to build mass and build muscle, 
the, the magic formula to that is tension. The time under tension, the time that your muscle is under that tension, that is when God is building, or sorry, that is when the machine is building that muscle. And I feel like it's the same way spiritually. When we go through these seasons in our life where we're not comfortable and there's tension there, that's where God is growing us. That is where God is, is preparing for a new season for us. And it's really funny. Um, you look at the Church of America as a whole, and you know we love, we love watching movies with tension, right? Like if it's not a movie where a guy has to jump out of a building five stories some way, save his own life, defuse a bomb, and then who knows what else. Like, we don't want to watch it. If it's just, you know, if, if we just watched a three-hour movie about three hours of my next three hours of my life, it probably wouldn't be very interesting to you. But in those types of things, we want to feed ourselves with all this tension. But then in the spiritual, we pray all that stuff away. We want nothing to do with that stuff. We want that to stay away from us. We want have our nice clean path, our nice clean lane. Um, you know, even in the Church of America, you know, I feel like there are times where, um, I said, capital C Church, um, where, you know, we, we pray, we sing, we sing songs about resurrection and God's will and healing and, and all these things, and then God brings that in, right? And God's like, hey, you guys are asking for it. I'm here to outpour it on you. And we, there are sometimes we get scared of that, and we actually quench that. And the Church of America, I feel like, is doing that right now. And that is not something we need to do. And it's because there's a threat. There's a threat of our convenient Christianity disappearing. And, and the truth is, like, convenient Christianity is... It's not Christianity. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not what God's called us to. Um, but one thing I do want to look at, um, we'll be turning to Scripture now. This, this first Scripture we're going to look at, it's not really the main Scripture for today. But you're more than welcome to turn to it. It's Leviticus 26.10. Um, we can see a people where they love, they are like convenient Christianity is already in effect. In Leviticus, these people were literally telling Moses when they didn't have food after the exodus of Egypt, hey, man, let's just go back to slavery. <laughs> like, like, at least we had food there. Like, you know, they were asking to go back because it was convenient. They didn't have to worry about how they were going to eat. They didn't have to worry about all that stuff. Um, real quick before we jump into Leviticus, how many of you guys have done the, like, Bible in a year plan or any type of plan where it's like, oh, try to read the entire Bible? Can I get a raise of hands? Yeah. How many of you guys have read the book of Leviticus and thought it took like 18 months to do it? Yeah, right? Yeah, I'm not ashamed to say there's been a couple times where I'm like, oh, Leviticus, I have 51 books in the Bible today. Um, <laughs> so like I said, this isn't our main scripture for today, but I think this is going to be a good, decent framework. Um, so Leviticus 26.10 states, You will still be eating last year's harvest, when you have to move it out to make room for the new. Man, it, that's awesome. God, you're trying to tell me that I'm going to have so much, it's going to be so fruitful and prosperous that i got to get rid of stuff when you're ready to give me more? That's awesome. 
It's super encouraging. And to give you a little context of what's happening here, God is telling his chosen people this. He's basically saying, this is right after Mount Sinai and, and all that, and he's basically saying, if you will f- obey my covenant, so we're talking about the old covenant, um, the grace of obedience and works here. Um, if you will obey this, this is, this is what will happen. Um, then Moses goes on to say, but if you don't obey this, then there's going to be disaster, ruin, and we will, not, we will be exiled from the land that Abraham was promised. So there was a huge weight there. Um, but I just, just kind of want to keep that verse, just keep that in the back of your mind as we, we talk today, and we'll, we'll come back to it here in a few. But now I kind of want to fast forward to when Jesus is now, he's now um, enforced the new covenant. And you see, we're going to be moving to the book of Acts. We'll start in chapter 11. But to think, so it's been, it's been amazing, right? Unfortunately, the Pharisees, they've crucified Jesus. The resurrection happens three days later. The ascension happens 40 days later. The, the apostles have been, they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Amazing things have happened. But there's still tension within the church because they are growing in all these ways. Imagine being in the Old Covenant, okay? Here's an example. Just imagine being in the Old Covenant, and you sin. And you're like, oh, man, I need to go. I need to sacrifice an offering today. So, you, you know, you gather your stuff. You go to do that. And on the way, someone stops you. And it's, you know, maybe it's, the, it's Apostle Peter. And he's like, hey, man, you don't have to do that anymore. Like, Jesus paid for that. What, what would go through your mind? 30, 40 years of living, and you're like, no, this is what God is, I've got, this is what I got to do. And then someone comes up and says, no, no, you don't. That's been paid for. Think of the tension, the struggle there would be there of those trying to protect those religious routines, right? And, and God, I don't, I don't want to give it away yet. Um, <laughs> I was about to. Um, <laughs> but, um, but just think of that. Think of the internal struggle there, the tension that would be there to, to try to discern, what, is this God? Is it, you know, what is this? And I think that happens a lot today, too. And uh, I kind of want to jump in. We're going to be looking at Acts 11 and a lot of stuff where I'm going to be reading 18 verses, so just bear with me. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the, this verse, and Peter is basically summarizing to, um, the, at this time, the circumcised party um, about they're, they're basically criticizing him for for uh, speaking with the uncircumcised, and he goes to goes to explain how the Holy Spirit has fallen on the Gentiles too. Um, okay, so Acts eleven verse one: the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So they had already heard that he received it. It's not that, that Peter was just hanging out with them. They, they've heard, hey, he's received, they've received the Holy Spirit. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So realize that. They know what's happened, but they are yet still going to Peter in criticism. They're still holding something there. Peter began to explain to them step by step. I was in the town of Joppa praying. And I want to talk real quick before we jump in. Joppa is going to be um, 
a little important in today's message. But it's funny because Joppa, even though you hear the word Joppa, you're like, oh, yeah, Joppa was a, a biblical city. I, I've heard that before. But it's really not mentioned that much in the Bible. It's talked about in the Old Testament a little bit, um, twice, actually. I can't give you one of them yet. But um, <laughs> the second one is when they were building the temples and stuff. So Joppa was a place where raw materials were. They would go, and they would get their supplies there and take it to do that stuff. Um, but Joppa is just a very interesting place. So I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it came to me. When I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter, so boldly, because he wants to do what the Lord has asked him, says, No, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call impure. Now this has happened three times, and everything was drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. So the Spirit is telling him, hey, these men are coming. When they come, you have no doubts about what they say. You just follow. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we went to the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house. And this all happened in, in chapter 10. How a man um, had seen an angel standing in his house saying, Send to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you all in your household will be saved. So basically in chapter 10, you're seeing, his name's uh, Cornelius. He has a vision. Angels come in. He says, send these men to Joppa. He said, there's going to be a man there. His name's Simon, also known as Peter. He's going to speak a message over you in which you will be saved. So he's prophesying, he's prophesying to Cornelius, hey, the Gentiles can receive this gift as well. Peter says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as on us at the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's a balance there with water, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, it's the fire. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? The last verse, verse 18, this is, in my, my opinion, for today's message, this is one of the most important verses out of this, these 18. It says, when they heard this, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, so then, God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. Which is awesome to hear that in that moment, they went silent. They had a decision to make. Am I going to hold on? to these past religious rituals and what I believe, the limits and labels that I've had on God and what he can do and for who? Or 
Am I going to let that go and receive that new blessing that this is for everyone? Now, it's very interesting. One, it's really crazy and cool just because it was like, hey, he's in Joppa, right? But why would Peter be in Joppa? Like I said, it, it, before Peter goes, it's only been mentioned twice. And it's all, a lot is where Joppa is where you get the raw materials to build something. And I think that's prophetic um, and, and the mentionings of what happens in Joppa. Um, and we'll see more of that here in a minute. But notice, too, before we move on, the different, the different things that these people are, are the tension, the, the things that they have to work through that they're holding on to. One's the Holy Spirit. This is still a new thing, right? Um, this is, you know, the apostles had just been baptized with the Holy Spirit not too long ago. Um, eating meat. Eating meat was another one. But it was funny because you look, and when, when Peter's trying to defend and say, God, I will never eat meat because that is, that is against, against your word and, your, and what you want for us. And he says, no, no, no. He says, do not call impure what I've made clean. And so what he's talking about here, though, it's not necessarily like bacon. He's talking about barriers, barriers in our life. He's talking about the barriers that we hold on to where we cannot receive that renewed mind um, from God. And so just notice that they, they're struggling with that. And then, of course, that this gift's for everyone. You know, the chosen people at this point, they're like, this is for us. God's chosen us. This is for us. And now it, the, the gospel's been ripped open, and it's saying, hey, this is for everybody. And so the tension, the, the things these people are thinking through, I'm sure there are moments where people who aren't here experiencing this are like, man, is this God? Is what's happening here? Um, so for these men to sit in silence and discern, okay, we're, we're, we're not going to be scared of this and, and flee. We're going to push into it, and we're going to glorify God. And I, I find that very interesting that it says that they're, they glorified God. They didn't just say, oh, man, that's awesome. They were like, they started glorifying God that he opened up the gospel for everybody. Um. Like I said, it's very interesting that Peter was in Joppa. What would bring him to Joppa? Why, why would he be in Joppa? I don't know why I love saying the word Joppa. It's awesome. Okay. Joppa, 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 Joppa. <laughs> but um, <laughs> if we look back, so like I said, in, ver- in chapter 10 is when Cornelius has the vision. Chapter nine, the end of chapter 9, we can see the context of how Peter got to Joppa. All right, so we're going to look at Acts 9, 36 through 43. In Joppa, there was a disciple called Tabitha, which was translated Dorcas. That's, a, that's an awesome name. I about said that's a sick name. but um, She was always doing good works and acts of charity. So people in Joppa loved Dorcas. They loved her. She, was, she, she had a heart for God. She was always doing things for other people. So people cared about her in the community of Joppa. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs, kind of like in the upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. Peter got up and went with them. 
When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs. Now, it's interesting, before we move on, have you noticed how they just urge him, hey, will you just come with us to Joppa? And he just gets up and goes. Like, he follows. When, when God is discerning him to do something, we saw it also in the previous, when, when the man said, hey, we had a vision, we're supposed to go here. Like, he just gets up and he follows. He follows that. I think it's very important as to why all this is released onto Peter and that he was that, the vessel that God used. Um, Okay. After washing her, they place her in a room upstairs. Oh, we already read that. I'm so sorry. Okay, and they led him to the room upstairs. And all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turned toward the body and said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. And so it's very interesting to look back and see that this is what happened before the breakthrough happened in Joppa. Um, And what I mean by that is Peter's out of nowhere, it's not like he had time to think about this, out of nowhere urged to go to Joppa. He follows these men. He doesn't even know what's going on. They get to Joppa. He gets taken to a room upstairs. they, They say, this woman is dead. Can you help her? Now, at this time, Peter has seen the miracle of resurrection, through Jesus at one point in time. He has never resurrected somebody at this point in time himself. And so can you imagine the thoughts of, you know, I've seen God do this. Can I? And I think he had the faith to do that. Um, And what I mean by that is he gets to that point. He gets in that room. And if you will look at when Jesus resurrects the little girl, he mimics his master in every way. He walks in. The first thing he does is what Jesus did. And he says, please leave the room. At that point, it's just him and her. And I think there's a lot of symbolism as to why he did that and why Jesus did that. I think, I think, um, I think, uh, sorry. I think he did that because there were people in the room, there were people in attendance in this room um, that their doubt would have quenched the miracle from happening. And if you ever wonder what, you know, kids, adults, whatever, if you ever wonder why it's important to know who's your inner circle and who they are, it's very, very important on who the people who are closest to you are. Because those people could quench the miracles and blessings that are going on in your life or they can help fuel the fire for that. And that's not just kids, right? You know, in, in school, you know, oh, we, we talk about our kids in school, and we're, we're trying to push them through Christianity because, you know, we don't, they might get bullied at school for being a Christian or anything like that, and people might think they're weird and, and all that. We don't want that for our kids. But I hate to say it, guys, but they, they, and they don't, they don't want to be uncool in school, right? But for adults... The same word is weird. 
We, we sit here. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to be weird. We want to press into God and, oh, my gosh, what if, what if I spoke in tongues? Oh, my gosh, what do you think that person would think of me right there? Oh, my gosh, I can't do that. I can't do that. i got to back out of this. I can't do that. There's no way. There's no way. And so to think that we don't have those same tendencies as kids do in school would be a, a naive. We very much have that. And you have to release that. You've got to know that what God has for you and what he's trying to pour out into you is way more important and more intimate than what the person beside you thinks. Um, so your inner circle is huge. Who is in your inner, inner circle is huge. I don't know why I keep saying that. I, maybe that's a word for somebody. Maybe you need to reevaluate who you are close with, um, the relationships that you are around. Uh, they may be hindering um, your growth. And just maybe think, think about that. Um, Maybe receive prayer at the end of service. Um, so, yeah. So, so Peter then um, resurrects this woman. And I think in this moment, this is the moment that all the labels and limits for him fall off. Because he has just resurrected this girl, through, which was through God. It wasn't Peter. But he had the faith to do that. And so when he is then, this vision of Joppa happens, man, he is, there's no limit. Like, whatever God's going to do in this vision, it's going to happen. And he is just a free vessel for God to use. Um, now, there's one other time in Joppa. This is what I couldn't tell you earlier. Um, <laughs> there's one other time in Joppa where Joppa is mentioned in Scripture. So Acts, what we just read, that is the only time Joppa is mentioned in Scripture. But there's one other time, and I'll give you guys a hint. Does anyone know? Does anyone know who it was? What Bible character was in Joppa? Oh, you're going you're gonna to cheat. <laughs> Does anyone else know? I'll give you a hint. Big fish. R- rhymes with Corona. Jonah. Come on, Jonah. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> now he's not there for a long time. That's not where he fled the Lord from. He actually went to Jonah to a port to get on a ship to go to Tarshish. So we'll read uh, verse, verse 3 of chapter 1. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. So why was Jonah fleeing God's presence? Well, Bryant... If you read the first two verses, you would know why. It's because he was commanded to go to the city of Nineveh. Do you know what was going on in Nineveh? It was bad. Like, I think if God had a control center and, like, all the sins would flag, be like, man, I think, like, 90% was like Nineveh today. What the heck is going on? And it literally says, this is why I think it was so heavy. It literally says he called and commanded him to go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because the evil had come up before him. And so why was he fleeing? Was it because it was a hard task? I don't, I don't think so. I think he was fleeing because in his mind, he knew what Nineveh was. In his mind, Nineveh, that place couldn't be saved. The limits, like we talked about earlier, the limits, the labels that were in his mind 
of what could happen in Nineveh, what God could do in Nineveh, the people he could touch in Nineveh, were, were far limited to what God had. And we come to find out through the story, you know, not, not every time you try to flee from God, he'll put you in a fish, but <laughs> Jonah was lucky enough to go through that and realize I got to go to Nineveh. So it was good for him. <laughs> um, so here's my question for you today. What are you going to do in your Joppa? Are you going to push into God? Are you going to let him do signs, wonders, and miracles through you? Or when the tension arrives, are you going to flee out of fear? Don't limit what God can do. Let him disturb that convenient Christianity. See, how can you truly know God if you've never had to fully rely on him? I want to look at one last moment. I know we just got a few minutes here. Um, I want to look at one last moment in Scripture. Um, We've looked at where they pushed. We looked at one where they resisted, but then eventually God just threw them to Nineveh. And then we're going to look at one more where, unfortunately, they completely quench what God is trying to do. Um. I'm trying to remember which gospel I pulled it out of. And either Matthew or Luke. Um, we're looking at verses 57 through, I believe it's 62. So as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, real quick, before we move on, that struck me super heavy. Of course, this is a popular verse. We've all heard this. But did you know, I I didn't know this until this week, but Lord, first let me go and bury my father is actually a Jewish idiom. It doesn't necessarily mean that his father was dead. What What it very well could mean is back in those days, the religious routine was to honor their father and mother. And he was basically, there was a chance he was asking, let me go live my life comfortably till my parents die, and then I will come follow you. He's basically saying, let me, I don't want to let go of this. Let me finish this out, and then I will come and follow you. And I feel like that's why he says, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He's basically saying, Listen, they're not going to come proclaim me. They can bury themselves. Come with me. Still, another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Same situation. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow, looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That's a heavy verse in my mind. Um, Just looking at that, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What is God saying there? I think he's saying that anyone who begins following the Lord and looks back, a.k.a. has limits or labels of him based on prior conceptions of the past, will not experience him to their full potential. That's exactly what we see in this passage. These men very well could have ended up being apostles. These men could have followed him through his whole ministry, 
seen signs, wonders, miracles. They might have even performed some. But their story ends where their yes ends. Remember that verse back from Leviticus 26.10. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move out to make room for the new. Maybe that verse no longer is very encouraging. Because <laughs> the truth is we get comfortable in the things that we have and we don't want to let go to make room for the new. That's what all these stories have in common with each other. There were moments where each of, each of these people had to decide on whether to hold on to last year's harvest, the prior conceptions, the limits, the labels that were put on God to remain in their box of convenient Christianity, or to move out and release these labels and limits and make room for the new that God is trying to grow and teach inside of them. So I just... I think there's still something about Peter <laughs> I'm supposed to share. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> if we look back at Peter really quick before we close, we can see all these different things God's doing through him. Now, we can also see all the moments where, God, where Peter very well could have said no. He didn't have to go to Joppa. He didn't have to go up into that room. He didn't have to try to attempt to resurrect somebody. He didn't have to stay in Joppa. He didn't have to follow men who had a vision. He didn't have to boldly proclaim what God had shown him because of the criticism that was being brought upon him. See, he very well could have sat there. And here's the funny thing. So he goes and he resurrects, right? God uses him as a vessel to resurrect this woman. He goes, he stays in Joppa. How easy would it have been for him to hold on to that and say, this is it. I'm at the top. I can't grow anymore. I've, who else has done this? I, I'm as close to God as anybody. There's nothing else that I can learn. But because he doesn't do that and he's in a posture to receive and to follow and obey, and he follows those people, all of a sudden now he's letting go of that, and he's now receiving, hey, the Gentiles can now be saved. The Holy, you, you are now about to pour the Holy Spirit out to where everyone can access it. You can eat bacon. That might be the, that might be the best one. You can eat bacon. So, it, and that's what I'm saying. So that's the thing. And I, and I heard something at the conference a few weeks ago. Like, if your hand's like this and you're holding on to those misconceptions and those labels and limits that maybe you were taught or you've learned or maybe just subconsciously just are holding on to, it's very hard for God to put a blessing in this hand when it's white-knuckled. Okay? You have to be willing to let go. You have to be willing to push into God. You've got to push into him. And I know that's not always easy. Sometimes it can be scary because it's unknown. There's tension in your body. You can feel it. That's God growing you. Push into it. Now, I want to end our time today with the opportunity to accept Jesus. I felt very heavily that I was supposed to bring an invitation at the end of this. And, 
And I know today's message has been a lot geared towards, it may seem like it's been geared towards people who are already Christians, but it's the exact opposite, too. Um, if this is your first time or you don't believe in God, um, limits and labels, that's what keeps us from him. So if you're here today and you just want to release those limits and labels that you have on your life and you have towards Jesus and you want to lay all that down and surrender it to him and become a follower of Jesus today, I want to give you that opportunity. Or maybe you know God and your faith you feel like has maybe grown stagnant and you're realizing maybe now you're discerning that maybe there are some limits and labels that you have on God that necessarily shouldn't be there. Um, So if if everyone would uh, bow their heads and close their eyes, if you would like to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior today, I would just ask that you raise your hand now. I see that hand. Anyone else? Okay. Uh, Repeat after me, church. We're going to say this prayer, and we're going to say it together as a community, um, as we are now alongside you as your new brothers and sisters in Christ. Dear Lord, thank you so much for being a gracious God. I ask you to forgive my sins, and I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior for the rest of my days. Heal me of any sins and wash my heart clean. Lord, renew my mind for what you want to grow in me. Amen. Well, we had one person raise their hand, so thank the Lord for that. That's awesome. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that is all I have today, guys. So let me pray for you, and then uh, you can get out. If you guys want prayer, uh, we'll have the prayer team up here as well, and uh, I'm, I'll be up here as well if uh, you'd like to talk about anything. All right. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you so much just that we could be in your house, Lord. I just can feel your spirit so heavily today, Lord. And I just pray that every person that needs touch today or needs to see you or a sign from you or experience you, that they do that, whether it's through prayer or just just you moving in their life, Lord. We just thank you so much. I pray you be with everyone as they travel home today. And we just we just thank you so much for your goodness. Amen.